Well, let's take a look at God's Word. We're in Nehemiah chapter 4. If you have your, your Bibles open, you can follow along. Two determinations of the heart. We're going to look into this text together. Uh, at the age of 64, on September 2nd, 2013, Diana Nyad set a world record for swimming the longest length in open salt water with no shark cage. Now, she had tried this and attempted it years before when she was in her early 30s, uh, and she failed. And she trained throughout her whole life to fulfill this childhood dream to swim from the shores of Havana, Cuba to Key West. Now, how many of you have had that dream since you were a child? Yeah, me neither. But this was on her heart. Now, this is a 110-mile swim that takes about 54 hours or 60 hours to complete. Now, I don't know about you, but I can, I feel proud of myself with my kids at the YMCA when I can float or tread water for more than 60 seconds. 54 to 60 hours of swimming. Now, bear in mind that means also she's not sleeping because to complete this world record, she can't touch a boat or be helped in any way. And so this is mind blowing. Uh, now, Daniel, Lauren, and, and, and Patrick, those of you that are going to be working with students, we will be having an all nighter at some point. And I will be sneaking up away and, and to sleep. I can't stay awake all night. If you're younger, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to have you stay awake. But listen, she stayed awake for 54 hours. And at the age of 64, she completed her childhood dream. It's absolutely stunning, but it wasn't without cost. Take a look at these pictures. You can see on the left hand side, the effects that the salt water has on one's skin for being submerged in it for that period of time. The skin gets burned. It's good. It becomes raw. More than that, uh, you, you take a look at some of the other obstacles. Have you, have you ever been stung by a jellyfish or a Portuguese man of war? One of the most poisonous jellyfish in the world. The question isn't if you get stung. It's how many times on the neck and on the face. And it's sometimes these things are so bad it causes respiratory distress. If you take a look uh, at this arm, which is kind of nasty. Sorry to show you that this morning. That is the effect of a Portuguese man of war sting on one person's arms. And of course, it was recently Shark Week. How many know that? Sharks are a danger because when the skin bleeds, it attracts sharks. And so that's what made it so incredible that she made this journey at the age of 64 with no shark cage. And so if you're 64 or older today, that's the sermon. You can still accomplish your goals. I'm kidding. Listen to this. She, she attempted over her course of her life, many, many times she failed. On one such occasion, uh, James Ryle is a pastor in Boulder, Colorado. He recounts what she said to reporters after just falling short of making it to the shore. She had to be pulled into a boat with her team that was with her. Listen to what she said to reporters. She said, it wasn't the fear. It wasn't the fatigue. It was the fog. Had I known I was close, I could have made it. What had happened was that it was so foggy this one particular day she was swimming uh, that she couldn't see anything in front of her face, including the shore. And as soon as she got into the boat, wasn't about a thousand yards away was the shore. How many can relate to that sense of disappointment and challenge? Now, I know most of us in here aren't long distance swimmers. But sometimes in life, whenever we are going about the thing that is on our heart that God has called us to, the mission at hand, 
the fog can confuse us. And sometimes even we can become afraid or fatigued. Let's remember the words that Alistair Begg says, as Pastor Ben has been telling us, God's work done God's way will never lack opposition. And so the question is, how do we overcome the obstacles that arise in the midst of our mission? And so if you look at Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll be in verse 14. And if you take a look at your bulletins, I, Amika was kind enough to allow, to uh, put in some blanks for us. Uh, I personally have ADD. So when I, Ben is not joking, if you di- get distracted while I'm preaching, go with that. It's probably a good thought. Uh, blanks help me when I'm taking notes. I hope they help you. Um, and so uh, that's what those are there for. We're going to take a look at two determinations of the heart as Nehemiah calls Israel back to God in the midst of oppression and obstacles. Verse 14 says this, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that your call rests upon us not to build a building or renovate a building. Your call upon us is to build people and to build hope. Lord, this kingdom you've brought is a supernatural kingdom and it's accomplished by the empowerment of your spirit. So today as we look to your word, I pray that the effects of discouragement and oppression and fear in the ways that we are experiencing them currently in our lives, that you would overcome them by your anointing through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two determinations of the heart that Nehemiah calls Israel to, and we're going to look at those today. The first is this. We forsake fear by remembering the greatness of our God. We forsake fear by remembering the greatness of our God. Verse 14 Nehemiah starts out this way. He says, do not be afraid of them. Now, there were legitimate threats that were uh, being thrown to the Israelites and to Nehemiah as they were uh, accomplishing and attempting to accomplish the rebuilding of the wall. Last week, Pastor Ben preached through verse 6. And we hear about uh, a few people named Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Now, Sambalot is a Babylonian leader. His name means sin has given birth. Now, I don't know if any of you are want, want to be moms. That's not a good name for your child. Sin has given birth. See, in those times, names were uh, viewed to have a prophetic element to them, especially in the Hebrew culture. Tobiah actually is a Hebrew name, and it means the Lord is good. He named his, Tobiah named his son Yohanan, which is the Hebrew form of John. It means the grace of God is with me or the God's gracious gift. My point is this. As, uh, as the people, uh, were oppressing Israel, as Sambalot was threatening them, as Tobiah was making fun of them, the voice of oppression was not just coming from secular humanism. It was also coming from someone who had some form of faith in Yahweh. 
Now, I don't have to go too deep into this, but how many of you know that sometimes oppression can come from brothers and sisters in Christ? How many know that? When I was uh, studying uh, a, a pastoral ministry in school, I was being prepared for ministry, one of my professors said this to us like a mantra. Hey, guys, sheep bites hurt. They have flat teeth. And that's not just true for those of us that lead in the church. That's true for all of us. Sheep bites hurt. There's a saying that goes that the uh, the Christian army is the only one that, that hurts its wounded. We're looking at Sanballat and Tobiah and we're seeing the voice uh, of, of someone who is of the Babylonian culture and someone who is from the Hebrew culture. And they're both joining together to discourage the very work that God was doing among his people. Now, I want to make sure I stop there for a moment because as we continue in this, those voices are not just things we ought to think as external, but also internal. The voice of Sambalot, the voice of unbelief, and the voice of Tobiah, religious reasonings cloaked, speaking to us, discouraging us, threatening us, can come from within as well. And so this is a legitimate fear. The people of God had a legitimate reason to believe that their women, their children, their sons, their daughters, their brothers or sisters may not live. They may be killed. I don't know what that feels like. I, I have never been in a situation where I have been afraid that my children may not wake up in the morning. Some of you may have. Some of you that have served our nation in the military... Or maybe you've lived in another nation that was more hostile. Maybe you know what that's like. I can't relate. But this was not just, uh, uh, some people say fear is uh, false evidence appearing real. This was actually real evidence. They had reason to believe that there was harm coming their way. And this is the context we find Nehemiah rising up and giving them a word from the Lord's heart. He says, do not fear them. Now, my favorite superhero since I was a child is Superman. I mean, how many in here love the Man of Steel? I like Superman for a number of reasons. First of all, he's a dork. He's a farm boy. He never gets the girl, or at least he doesn't get her in those big glasses. Actually, he looks pretty hipster there. I... But I, I like him because he's an average Joe. I can relate with that. I like him too because unlike most other superheroes who have one or two powers, Superman has a thousand of them, right? Here's a few. He's got super strength. He can, he can stare laser beams from his eyes and melt things. He's got x-ray vision. He's got super speed. He's faster than a speeding bullet. Yeah, some of you guys are fans too. This is my favorite. He can fly. Oh man. I love that. Superman's incredible. But he does have a weakness. You remember what that is? That's right. Kryptonite. <laughs> Superman can do anything and everything from being a dork to flying to having x-ray vision until kryptonite comes around. And then he basically shrivels up. And as we're looking at the text here, 
uh, as Nehemiah is calling the people to forsake fear, he's saying this. Listen, fear is kryptonite to your faith. It shrivels it up. Abraham was justified by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the unseen. We know that just like the devil uses fear to bind us up, the Lord uses faith to free us. Now we know that when it's the confession of the mouth that we believe in our heart and we confess from our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. We know that confession of faith is the act where regeneration takes. I don't know how that works, but that's what we believe as the miracle of regeneration comes through an exchange of faith because of the power of the cross. And yet we see through the pages of Scripture the most often command thing from Genesis to Revelation is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love this because Nehemiah isn't just telling them what not to do. How many have ever been afraid and someone says, don't be scared? And it's like, it's impossible to not be afraid just by someone saying, don't be afraid. Now, my daughter, Selah, loves the cookie monster. She used to anyway. How many love the cookie monster? Someone gave us this video as an Elmo video. And uh, it was, I guess it's called Elmo Says Boo. Don't ever get that if you're a parent of a, uh, a child, right? Because she watched Elmo Says Boo, and apparently the cookie monster has a scary part in that one. Because at this point, every time she gets scared, she says, Cookie monster. When there's a dark room and she doesn't want to go, she'll say, Cookie monster's in there. And so I am irritated with Elmo for putting those evil thoughts in her head. But you can't just tell someone not to feel scared. We also learn from... Uh, from science as well, that fear produces chemicals in our brains. Anxiety is not just something in, in related to thoughts. It's There's something that happens in our brain patterns whenever we're afraid. Telling someone to not be afraid when they're afraid is like telling someone to not be nauseous when they have a stomach issue. I mean, know that. So Nehemiah is not commanding them to stop feeling something. Because the next thing he says is remember your God. That's one of the other biggest messages of the Bible, is to remember the greatness of God. Dr. Timothy Laniak is the dean of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where I'm in grad school. And one of our lectures in the Old Testament when we were in Charlotte, he said this, the Old Testament can be summarized into one word, remember. Remember. Behind me, you're seeing a picture from southern Israel of what Joshua established in chapter 4 when Israel crossed into Canaan after all they had been through. He said, I want all an elder from every tribe to set up a stone to remember the wonders of God. That when your children ask you, what does this stone mean? You will tell them the ways and the wonders of God. Stones of remembrance. This is something that's actually began then embedded in the Hebrew culture of faith. Something Samuel did in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, when Israel overcame the Philistines. He set up a stone that he named Ebenezer Scrooge. No, I'm just kidding, just Ebenezer. <clears throat> I remember saying, uh, come thou found of many blessings, and you say, here I raise my Ebenezer. That's not your beer. 
That's a stone. Ebenezer means God has helped. Or stone of help. It's a Hebrew word that means that. Samuel wanted all of Israel to remember that it wasn't their small, feeble army that overcame the larger, more powerful, more well-equipped Philistines. It was actually the anointing of God upon them that helped them overcome. See, fear changes the way we see things. changes the way we assess things. Remembering the greatness of God is not merely a, a logical exercise, an intellectual exercise in which we just remember facts and figures. There's something that happens in our spirit, in our soul, even the chemicals of our brains. When we call to mind the greatness of God, faith begins to stir. Paul says it this way, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word. Romans 10, 17. We also know from the author of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible. We know from Jesus, anything is possible to them who believe. We're seeing a theme here. Nehemiah isn't just saying to the people of Israel, don't be scared. He's saying, remember the greatness of your God. Because when you remember the greatness of your God, when you call to mind the wonders of His faithfulness and His power, you'll become more aware of His presence and you'll live from the presence toward a problem instead of in a problem toward a far and distant God. How many know there's a difference? In the men's uh, fires we've been enjoying uh, as we walk through uh, the, the book of Proverbs, and Dwight's done a wonderful job leading us, and everyone that comes, comes with a testimony or uh, a, a way that God has spoken to them from the Proverbs. But I think still to me to this day, one of the most poignant ones is Proverbs one seven, which is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How I many know that one? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What was happening with Israel is they began to engage with the fear of man. One of the most insidious fears there is, and yet we probably deal with this on a daily, if not a weekly basis. The fear of man. See, here's the issue, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the fear of man is the beginning of confusion. When we begin to orient our life around the whims, the ups, the downs, the applause, or the disapproval of people around us, we begin to orient ourselves around good and bad moods of the multitudes. It's not stable. And we were not designed to have that kind of fear. The fear of man is the beginning of confusion. We see this in Peter's life. I call that the voice of Sambalot and the voice of Tobiah. The voice of Sambalot and Tobiah is the fear of man. It's the idea that there are people who are greater than the power or in the presence of God. They can overcome the presence of God. Now, we don't theologically believe that, but emotionally we do. In as much as we forget the, the uh, greatness of God. We see in Matthew 17, Peter displays... The fear of God and the fear of man back to back. Jesus says, Peter, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the son of the risen God, the son of the living God. Jesus says, Peter, 
You haven't heard this from man or from people, but from my Father who's in heaven. It's the fear of the Lord. Peter orienting his life around the presence of the greatness of God is displayed in Jesus Christ. And it took courage for him to say that. Because to say he is the Christ, the anointed one, is to say that which everyone in the community, the the people of Israel, were resisting. Peter was a man of faith in that moment. He was remembering and realizing the greatness of God. A moment later, Jesus says, listen, I need to go to the cross because my mission is going to include this apparent opposition when it's actually going to be the very thing that the Lord uses to turn hell upside down. And Peter says, do you remember what he said? Lord, surely you won't have to die. Peter is voicing the voice of Sanballat and Tobiah to the Son of God in that moment. Now, he doesn't want to be the opposition. His heart is right in that he wants to love and serve the Christ he's following. But his motives start to overcome the very work of God. And he becomes the voice of Sanballat and Tobiah. See, you have the voice of faith and the voice of fear. Don't be afraid. Remember the greatness of your God. Over the years, uh, Carly and I have had the, the privilege of seeing the greatness of God displayed through healing, whether it's physical healing or emotional healing. And this is one of the very basic ministries of Jesus through the body of Christ, through us. One of the very basic things. We see Jesus going from village to village. One of the first things he does before often he even preaches is demonstrate the greatness of God by healing the sick. We see the disciples and the apostles doing the very same thing. And we see this commanded even in James 5, elders anoint those who are sick. And then the next verse says, And believers pray for those who are sick and the prayer of faith will heal. This is both in James 5. The elders and believers. Carly and I have had the opportunity to see this through our ministry. We got Daniel Lauren here. It made made me start thinking about when when Carly and I were were dating. One night we were in her little uh, Honda Civic and I had this horrific stomach ache, which was really a drag because we were going to watch a movie and have a great time. I really wanted to, I can't remember what movie it was, but I was excited about watching this with her. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat, doubled over in pain. And so Carly said, can I pray for you? And I said, sure. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I need to get to the Alka-Seltzer as quick as possible. And so she lays her hand on my stomach and to pray for me, just a simple prayer. And as she does that, I begin to feel, I can't explain it well. I'm just going to use broken language. It felt like a, a swirling warmth where the pain was in my stomach. And instantly it was gone. I did anything that any any smart bachelor would do. I got out of the car, I got my knee, and I asked her to marry me. Right, that's what? I'm kidding. I I put a little more thought into it than that, and it happened down the road. Over the years, we've gotten a chance to see the, the display of the greatness of God. It's one of the most basic ministries of the church. That's why one of the four pillars of our movement is Christ is our healer. It's one of the most basic things, uh, the voices of Sanballat and Tobiah screaming at us, this side of heaven is our physical illnesses. 
As A.B. Simpson once said, what sin is to the soul, sickness is to the body. We, we, uh, we love to train people to pray for healing, and there's a renewal and confidence for that and faith for that. Uh, we had a group of students one night after youth group. I was, I was at the piano in, in Pennsylvania, and some of our students were over here in the corner kind of making a fuss, and I thought they were texting and giggling, and I was about to lose my salvation and scream at them because I was trying to lead worship. Actually, our dear friend uh, Lacey was there. Uh, she's visiting us from Charlotte. Make sure you give Lacey hello when you... She's visiting us today here in Seattle. First time on the West Coast, right, Lacey? There's a group of uh, middle school, high school girls. One of them had a, a tumor on her on her wrist, and there was concern. She'd been seeing a doctor. And so I had been talking about Christ our healer, and they had seen some basic demonstration of just how to simply pray for the sick. And so I thought they were goofing off, but they were actually praying for her. I'm glad I didn't scream. They prayed for her and they laid hands on this tumor. And, they, and as they prayed, they, they said in Jesus' name, and they lift their hand and the tumor was still there. Now, I mean, you know, if you've ever dealt with illness in your own body, it's very difficult to not feel afraid that it's going to be something serious. And on the other side, it's hard to have faith. It's very difficult. It's very difficult when you're trying to build a wall in the mission of God and you've got these this army with weaponry shouting at you that they're going to hurt you and your children if you don't stop. It's very distracting. I mean, know that the voice of fear can be really distracting. And sometimes it's not a voice at all. Sometimes it's just a sense. Sometimes it's just a feeling. Well, they kept praying for this girl, and they just said, Lord, you heal the sick, and you've called us to do the same. Show your greatness. Nothing happened. I don't know how many times they prayed, but they refused to allow the voice, the silent voice of Sanballat and Tobiah to discourage them, and they just kept praying. And finally, on the last time they prayed, They began to hear what they described as Rice Krispies underneath their hands. And as they looked in Jesus' name, they saw this tumor completely gone on her wrist. The next morning, I I led a prayer meeting at one of our elders' homes on Tuesday mornings. And um, it was two days later. I was so excited. I went and I, 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 and he happens to, the man happens to be also a pathologist, the chief of staff at a regional hospital in our area. And I said, Dr. Joe, one of our group of students saw Healing Sunday night youth group, and they said it sounded like Rice Krispies, and he chuckled. He said in the medical practice, we actually call that the snap, crackle, pop effect when a tumor is rupturing. It's the open display of the greatness of God. I'll tell you this, when middle schoolers and high schoolers see the open display of the raw presence of God, they begin to read their Bibles a little more closely. How many know that? I can tell you that in Pennsylvania, there was a push for renewal from our students because they began to see the open display of the raw presence of God, the greatness of God. Nehemiah is saying, don't be afraid. Remember them. Remember the greatness of your God. One more story. 
You guys preach long here, so I can tell you lots of stories, right? Ben said I had two hours. Yeah, he's going to stick it to me about being boring, right? Anybody looking at their ministries? Come on now. You got a homework assignment. I had a professor in college. I don't know if I said this already. I say this all the time, so I might have already said this. But he he used to tell us in in class, in philosophy class, he'd say, um, all right, now while I'm teaching, you may have a thought, an inspiring thought while, while I'm talking, and it may be different than mine. If you get that, go with it. Tune me out. Because oftentimes that's the voice of God. One of the only professors who would say something like that, and I, I felt so free to hear from the Lord. It was wonderful. You can do that. And you can check out the ministries if you want to also. One more story, though. I told you stories about healing, but I want to tell you the honest truth. I have seen more people not healed than I have seen healed. That's the truth. And it bothers me. In fact, we have seen more than one miscarriage in our time uh, of marriage, Carly and I. One instance, we had made plans to leave town. We were going to go to Baltimore with a few couples. There was going to be this uh, conference where there was going to be about three or 4,000 people worshiping the Lord and receiving teaching from the Word. And so we, we were ready for a getaway. And miracle of all, of all miracles, we had a babysitter for our two kids for free. <laughs> and we were ready to go. But then we started to see the awful signs of miscarriage come. And I won't describe them to you, but you know what they are. It's scary. And we had seen it three times before. And this was going to be time number four. And so Carly and I had a conversation. We needed to get away. We needed to be refreshed with a a group of believers in worship. And so we decided that even though it was appearing as though she was miscarrying, that we were still going to travel. It's about four or five hours from our house at that time. See, the voice of Sanballat and Tobiah would have said, be responsible, stay home, cancel the plans that you felt the Lord calling you to, what you've needed in the Spirit, cancel your plans and stay home scared. How many can relate with that voice? Now, we didn't hear a voice in our head saying that. That is what the oppression we felt. But we remembered, even though we haven't always seen the display of God's greatness, we remembered and we were able to gather enough faith and we went. So that first night we got there, worship began in the middle of worship. I had this certainty that the speaker was going to come up on the platform and before he preached, ask for women who needed healing uh, for reproductive issues to stand and be prayed for. Now, how many of you have ever heard anybody do that? I haven't. I was sure of it. In fact, I was so distracted. One person, I, thank you, Lord. <laughs> One, I was so distracted, I, it was hard for me to sing. I was just standing there waiting. I had no idea who was speaking. So all of a sudden, we sat down from worship, and the person I assumed was speaking came up. And then he got out his Bible And he said, before we start tonight, I need to do one thing. The Lord is healing women who are dealing with reproductive issues. If that's you, would you stand? Tears began to stream down my face and Carly's face. 
He just invited people around us to begin to pray. Carly experienced a miracle that night. That miracle is named Johnny. The greatness of our God. Here's the nation of Israel. They've seen God split the ocean. Rain down food from the sky. We've seen God, they've seen, the nation has seen God uh, turn an entire river into blood. They have seen their God deliver them. And the greatness of the wonders of the open display of God's presence is endless. And now here they are in the same place again with the voices of Sanblot and Tobiah oppressing them, trying to scare them. And here's the voice of God to them. Nehemiah says you've got to make a determination in your heart that you will not let fear be your leader. You may feel it. But the greatness of God leads you on in mission. He called them to forsake fear by remembering the greatness of God. I have no idea what voice for you is the voice of Sanballat, that voice of threat, that voice of harm. Some of you may be here and maybe you have a fear that your spouse has an illness that will take them and cut their life short. Or maybe you have that about yourself. Maybe you have a history of an illness in your family. Maybe you're here and, and it's, it's not physical at all. Maybe you are engaging in the mission God has given you. And there's nothing but things seeming to be crashing and crumbling around the work of your hands. And the voice of Tobiah is telling you to quit. Nehemiah, through the time and the lens of Scripture, says to us this, forsake fear by remembering the greatness of God. That's the first determination we must make as a family if we are going to have the impact in our lives and our lives as a community in this city. We have got to be a community that is forsaking fear over and over again by calling to mind the greatness of our God. We are called to be a tummy you know we're called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? Do you understand the implications of that name? The very presence of God displayed for the priests to see dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Do you know that we are called to be those people whom when unbelievers come around us, there is a different presence about us because the Great One is among us and lives in us. We're called to be the body of Christ. Have you ever thought about how crazy that is? The very things that Jesus did, we together are called to do. We've been commissioned. You will be my witnesses because you'll be empowered from on high to be my witness, witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. We are called to be the very body of Jesus. Not known for our niceness, but by the greatness of the King we serve. I mean, that's true. We must forsake the fear and remember the greatness of our God. Determination number one.
the second and the final, in the midst of the obstacles of our mission, we must determine to fight for our family. Spend a little bit too much time on that. So I'm going to move through this one fairly quickly. You got your pens ready? All right, here we go. We must determine to fight for our family. Listen to what Nehemiah says. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives, and your homes. There's an incredible picture in verses 17 and 18. Take a look at those verses with me. It says that those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side while he built. Some of you can see some of these things. This awesome strap. I don't know whose this is, but it's pretty awesome. Talk to me after the service. I might want to buy it off you. Look up here. Think about it. There's two hands. One is holding a sword. The other is holding presumably a shovel or whatever tool is used to build. Nehemiah is saying this. I want you to forsake fear being led by the presence of greatness. The presence of the greatness of God. And I also want you to fight for your family. And so with one hand they had a sword to fight for their family. The other hand they did work. I love this because it's an amazing picture of what it means to be a family on mission. It's a prophetic picture of being a family on mission. Now over the years, families who have been following Jesus have been wrestling with how to do this. When I say family, I don't necessarily just mean nuclear family. I mean know that Jesus said that his brothers and mother and, and sisters are those who do the what? The will of God. So Jesus, and it's been through the lens of the New Testament, we're not just talking about nuclear family. Although in this context of this narrative passage, of course, it's nuclear family, and it's a larger community of the Israeli people. This includes those of you that are here that are single. It's good news. You don't have to be married to inherit the kingdom of God. How many know that's true? See, the family of God is not made of a bunch of married people. The family of God is anyone who follows through with the mission of God responding to the promptings of the Father in heaven. A family on mission in Union Hill Church is those of us that are following Jesus. We are family. We are brother. We are sister. We are mother. We are the family of God. Over the years, people have wrestled with how do we do both? I don't know how they did this. Thank God it only took, I think, what, 52 or 54 days to complete the wall. This is unsustainable, by the way, fighting with one hand and, and working with another. It's, that's a very high pace, but I love the picture. See, the, the issue is that if we use both our hands for just family, which is actually it's a pretty, pretty good thing, right? I'm not going to give a dig to focus on the family. I actually love their jobs and stuff. But it's kind of popular to, to make fun of them. I won't do that. Um, but when we overemphasize the family with just working uh, with, with swords in our hands, fighting for the family, uh, one of the issues with that is that we fail in mission. I mean, know that if we overemphasize the work of the family, we neglect the mission of God. On the, on the contrary, if we were to have just shovels in our hands, 
doing the work of missionaries in our own culture to the neglect of family. We neglect the family God has given us and we fail them. Hudson Taylor, one of the great, the great founder and father of the, the modern missions movement, did incredible work with his hands in mission. But one of the things we learn from him as posterity, we humbly reflect that he did not parent his children well at all. He failed them as an absent father. And we don't judge him for that. But there are two extremes. It's an overemphasis on family to the neglect of God's mission. And it's an overemphasis, or on the other hand, it's an overemphasis of mission to the neglect of family. That's why Pastor Ben has been using the language is so helpful. Mike and Sally Breen authored the book Family on Mission. Carly and I had the opportunity to sit down with her for Starbucks one afternoon in Polly's Island, South Carolina, where she and her husband lived for a while. And she said that they found that uh, in ministry, they learned to do family on mission. That they would invite their children with them in the midst of mission rather than compartmentalizing. Families over here, missions over here. Here is Nehemiah looking at the people of God. And he's calling them forward to be a family on mission. He says this. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And their response was a response of faith. In one hand, they did the work of the mission. In the other hand, they fought for their family. They did both. The second determination of our heart is that we're called to fight for our family. 